0: Have you ever found yourself dealing with individuals who are mean to you, who are cruel to you, or even hostile towards you? Perhaps you've encountered people who are rude, who mistreat, or who engage in hurtful actions. It's not uncommon to encounter those who inflict harm, whether intentionally or unknowingly. Many times when we are wronged or afflicted, our natural response is to take revenge. We want to take matters into our own hands because we want to get even. And even if we may not actually do it, our minds begin to think of how we can get them back. While we can't always avoid interactions with those who, who have ill intentions against us, it's within our power to choose how we respond to those who mistreat us or those we perhaps consider or categorize as our enemies. Enemies are individuals who, whether knowingly or unknowingly, display attitudes and actions that are harmful and hostile and hurtful towards us. They come from various aspects of our lives, from personal relationships to professional settings, and even to the broader societal context. Enemies make your life stressful. Sometimes they hurt you physically, verbally, emotionally, Or even mentally. They hinder your progress. At work, they block your promotion. Or they destroy a potential business deal. Enemies would sometimes slander you. They spread lies or rumors about you. And there are people who we sometimes think that all they do is to think and plan on how to disrupt our lives. Enemies hope for your misfortunes and failure. Isn't it true that all of us have these types of people in our lives, whether intentionally or unknowingly? How should we respond to our enemies? Some people think that they can eliminate their enemies if they are able to inflict the same or even more harm on them. They think that they can win the fight if they are able to make their enemies suffer a greater amount of misfortunes and perhaps make their lives more miserable. If they are able to hurt them more than the hurt done to them, they they feel they've won or that somehow it will make them feel better or vindicated, thinking that their enemies will soon stop. Only to find out that our enemies, when we hurt them, will find strength and ways to hurt us back because whenever we retaliate or do bad to our enemies, we only motivate them to do bad things towards us. So how do we respond to our enemies? Let's dive and explore Romans chapter 12 verses 17 to 21, which will guide us so that we can respond to our enemies wisely and effectively. Romans chapter 12, verses 17 to 21 shows us how we should interact with others, especially those who treat us poorly or unjustly. Our passage fits within the idea of how we ought to live as followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. It emphasizes how our faith should translate into practical obedience in real-life scenarios. By yielding and cooperating to God's transformational work in us, we are able to reflect Jesus not only in our behavior, but also in how we interact with others, including those who we might perceive as enemies. And if you are a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, our calling is to live our lives differently because of our faith and in obedience to the Lord Jesus Christ. For us to understand this more, we need to look back to Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, where Paul establishes the connection between faith, our faith in God, and our action, our behavior, our relationship here in the world. Our faith in Jesus, the forgiveness, the salvation we have received that was discussed by Paul in Romans chapter 1 to 11, should lead us to a distinct way of living. And this portion, verses 17 to 21, takes us to one of the hardest of all of the hard cases to apply our faith in obedience. How do you respond to our enemies? How do you respond to those who mistreat you or who treat you poorly? We may not have real enemies, but definitely we have people who mistreat us or who will mistreat us. Whether it's bullying at school, in your workplaces, in your village, in your homes— siblings or parents who will mistreat you, or even in your marriage where your spouse trashes you, or wherever. Everybody at some point in their lives will encounter a mistreatment even if they are a child of God. So the question is, how are you going to deal with it as a follower of Jesus, as a church community? Let's go to our text, Romans chapter 12, verse 17. Repay no one evil for evil. Have regard for good things in the sight of all men. If it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. These two verses encapsulate a radical principle that challenges our natural sinful inclinations and cultural norms. In these simple words, the Bible gives us a different advice on how to respond to our enemies, to evil not to respond to harm with more harm, but instead to have regard or to prioritize doing what is good and to strive for peaceful coexistence. And here we get our first biblical response to our enemies. Do not repay them with evil, but give them what is good. While this is so counterintuitive and countercultural, The entire life ministry and even the ultimate sacrifice of Jesus on the cross epitomizes this principle of repaying evil with good. We are to resist the urge to respond to harm with harm, to evil with evil. Repaying evil with evil means not engaging in a cycle of negativity and not responding to evil actions with equivalent evil actions. In other words, when someone treats you poorly, The idea is to avoid responding in a way that mirrors the evil you have experienced. Because if we pay evil for evil, we contribute to a cycle of negativity, hostility, and harm, often leading to a far worse situation rather than helping solve it. How would you feel and how would you respond if you saw on a Facebook post that your barcada went out to eat? And you were the only one that wasn't invited. You were left out. How would you feel if you entered the church and people started to look at you from head to toe and toe to head? How would you feel if you accidentally overhear someone talking bad to others about you? If someone dislikes you for no reason? If you are being criticized whether at work or at school? Or if you posted a picture on social media and someone leaves a negative comment, a not-so-nice comment, how would you respond? Our natural tendency is to repay evil with evil or to do the same. But remember, a wrong response will not make the wrong or evil thing done to you right. As mature believers that are being transformed into the likeness of our Savior, Our challenge is to rise above our most basic instincts and to respond in a way that defies the world's logic. We are called to break the chain of negativity that escalates conflicts and perpetuates hostility, to break that cycle of evil, retaliation, and vengeance that often characterizes human interaction. This demanding call requires that we set aside our natural inclinations and embrace this radical response. Romans 12, verse 17, have regard for good things in the sight of all men. This means that even in the face of mistreatment and evil, we should strive to do what is morally good, upright, and honorable in the eyes of everyone. We should continue to do what is good, even to our perceived enemies, because this is what pleases the Lord. Peter had the same counsel in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 9. He says, Not returning evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, blessing. Knowing that you were called to this, that you may inherit a blessing. We are not to repay evil for evil. In verse 18, if it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. This does not mean that we will start to become people pleasers. But it does imply that at the very least, our lives continue to be morally good, upright, and morally sound. We don't lower ourselves to the level of evildoers. Even if our enemies provoke us and even if others may not understand why we respond this way, and all that we stand for we continue to do good we have regard we still uphold and do what is morally good in the eyes of god and in the eyes of men it means that it also means that there will be times that peace will not be possible or at times it does not depend on you to live peaceably with all men because what this means is that we have a responsibility That as long as it depends on us, we ought to live peaceably with everyone. And for the times when peace isn't possible, that's normal, but the trouble should not come or start from us. Sometimes, even when we can't agree on something, or you have a different lifestyle, a different perspective, a different preference, that does not mean that you can start bashing people just because they're different. Even in your disagreements and differences of opinion, you can live peaceably. You can make an effort to communicate respectfully and listen to each other's viewpoints, avoiding personal attacks and aggressive behavior. Our responsibility to seek peace does not mean compromise or just shutting up. It goes beyond holding a neutral stance. It involves actively seeking opportunities to mend relationships, to bridge gaps, to foster understanding and while we are called to actively pursue peace it is also important to acknowledge that there are times and circumstances where achieving peace may be elusive or may be impossible despite our sincerest efforts due to different external factors however god still calls us to do our part to be agents of transformation and to trust that our efforts even if not immediately fruitful, are part of a larger story of God's redemptive work. Do not repay evil, but give them what is good. Verse 19, Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. The Bible directly addresses our human tendencies to seek personal revenge, and it offers an alternative approach, one that is rooted in trust in God's divine and sovereign justice. When we are wronged, we can be triggered, and our natural instinct can be to seek vengeance. But in Romans chapter 12, verse 19, we are presented with an alternative to resist the pull of retaliation and instead place our trust in the ultimate judge, God Himself. And here we get our second biblical response to our enemies. Do not take revenge, but leave justice in God's sovereign hands. While the first principle, do not repay evil, but give them what is good, centers on the general idea of refraining from responding to evil or harm with equivalent evil, this one, do not take revenge, specifically targets the act of seeking revenge or retaliation against others. It tells us to leave matters of justice to God's divine standard and not allow personal vengeance to guide our actions. Normally, our natural desire for vengeance is fueled by our anger or hurt and a desire to see the evildoer suffer in the same way they made us suffer. When someone comments negatively on your post, our immediate response is to comment back negatively on their wall. When we drive, when someone overtakes us or cuts the line, our immediate response is to take vengeance. We overtake them as well. Or if you watch basketball, usually it is the person who retaliates that gets caught by the referee. Because it is so instinctive to take immediate revenge or get even, and people would find it normal and acceptable. But as followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, we are invited and challenged to change and reject the cycle of vengeance that perpetuates only hostility and bitterness. Verse 19, But rather give place to wrath, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Or in a more direct translation, it says, leave it to the wrath of God. I'm sure this is easier said than done because it calls us to release our desire for personal vengeance and instead entrust the matter to God's sovereign justice. While the thought, do not avenge, advocates for refraining for seeking revenge or personal vengeance, it doesn't imply passive acceptance of wrongdoing or the lack of accountability. It's important to understand that leaving justice to God's hands doesn't mean ignoring or tolerating harmful actions. Instead, it emphasizes relying on divine wisdom and trusting in God's sovereign hand while also recognizing the importance of appropriate actions within human justice systems. This encourages seeking resolution through lawful means and maintaining a balance between forgiveness and at the same time, accountability. You may ask, why should we not avenge ourselves? Wouldn't that be just fair to even the score? Why should we leave justice in God's hands? Because God says in verse 19 that that is his job. God said in verse 19, vengeance is mine, I will repay. Meaning to say, God alone holds the prerogative to judge and to execute justice. So let him do it. If we attempt to take matters into our own hands, we can actually end up sabotaging his plans. So let God handle it. He is omniscient. He knows everything, all the facts. He sees everything. His judgment is not clouded by human biases and limitations, and His ability to discern and to execute justice is beyond our comprehension. Unlike human judgment, which can be clouded by emotions, biases, and limited information, God's judgment is based on perfect knowledge and wisdom. This means that His verdict Is and will always be just and fair. And besides, as Mahatma Gandhi said, when we take revenge, an eye for an eye only ends up making the whole world blind. On the contrary, forgiving, releasing the burden of vengeance, and trusting in God's sovereign hands brings about a sense of freedom that has life-giving effects on our lives and relationships. Isn't it true? when we understand that ultimate justice rests in God's hands, and when we let go of our desire for revenge, we free ourselves from the toxic poison of bitterness and anger. It feels like lifting a heavy weight off of our shoulders. You can smile freely with a happy heart. And most importantly, when we trust in God's sovereignty, it will deepen our spiritual connection. We learn to rely on God's wisdom and timing, fostering a sense of intimacy and trust in our relationship with God. As Dr. Charles Stanley said, when we've been deeply hurt, we sometimes resist offering forgiveness, thinking that a pardon excuses the wrongdoer and downplays the severity of the wrong done to us. But that is not what forgiveness is, it is letting go both the offense. And our right to demand payment with the acknowledgement that vengeance is God's responsibility, not ours. As C.S. Lewis writes, to be a Christian means to forgive the inexcusable because God has forgiven the inexcusable in you. During the 1994 Rwandan genocide, Immaculate. A Tutsi woman endured 91 days hiding with seven other women in a bathroom to escape the violence. This harrowing experience led to the loss of most of her family, including her parents and brothers. Despite witnessing unimaginable horrors and enduring immense loss, she made a remarkable choice after her liberation. Instead of holding on to hatred and seeking revenge against those responsible for the genocide, she embraced forgiveness. She recognized that carrying the weight of anger would perpetuate suffering. Her journey of forgiveness, chronicled in her book, Left to Tell, and her talks reflect the challenge of her decision. She said she found immense freedom. In forgiving those who had caused her profound pain. And that by letting go of bitterness, she discovered inner peace and healing. While she didn't erase the past, she refused to let it define her future. Her story stands as a powerful testament to the transformative force or power of forgiveness and the release of the first for vengeance. By choosing forgiveness, she broke free from the chains of bitterness and anger, and her journey serves as an inspiration, illustrating that even in the darkest times, the path of forgiveness can lead to light and freedom. We might not be immaculate nor have a Rwanda moment, but we can also experience freedom from bitterness and anger when we choose to forgive and surrender to God our desire for vengeance. Max Lucado was right when he said, Forgiveness is unlocking the door to set someone free and realizing that you were the prisoner. Entrusting justice to God's sovereign hands allow us to focus on healing rather than planning how to get even and perpetuating conflicts. As God's people, forgiveness and grace should be central to our response even to our enemies reflecting God's mercy and transformative power. Do not take revenge, but leave justice in God's sovereign hands. Romans chapter 12, verse 20. Therefore, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him a drink. For in so doing, you will heap coals of fire on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. In these verses, we are shown what it looks like when we live out the transformative power of Christ-like love to our enemies. Rather than responding to hostility or harm with retaliation, we are encouraged to take a radical Christ-like approach to show compassion, love, and kindness even in challenging situations and to meet even the needs of our enemies. This is countercultural, but this response actually embodies the teachings of our Lord Jesus Christ on what it means to love one's enemies and to respond to evil with goodness. Here we get our third biblical response to our enemies do not provoke them, but show them Christ's transforming love. This means that we are to refrain from intentionally inciting or stimulating negative emotions or reactions in those who might have wronged us. We are called to restraint and to show maturity, to avoid adding fuel to a potentially contentious situation and opting for a more constructive and positive response, which is to show them the love of Christ. In our daily lives, we encounter situations where emotions will run high, conflicts will emerge, and tensions will escalate. These challenges are not exclusive to personal relationships, but they can also be found in families, in communities, or in our general society. Many times, it is our police officers that are faced with circumstances that demand rapid response to diffuse tension, and ensure the safety of all involved. They are trained in what we call de-escalation techniques, which share a striking resemblance to the very idea of repaying evil with good. De-escalation principles teach officers to cool down potentially volatile situations by responding with empathy, respect, and a focus on finding peaceful resolutions. They are trained to avoid escalating confrontations and instead use techniques that can prevent harm and promote safety. Look at the example on how we can de-escalate evil and cool down our enemies in verse 20. We are to feed and provide for them when they are hungry and thirsty because when we do so, we heap coals of fire on his head. What does that mean? In the cultural context of that time, heaping coals of fire on someone's head was a symbol of shame and remorse. It was a way of expressing remorse for wrongdoings and for seeking forgiveness. This practice was intended to communicate a sense of regret or a desire to make amends. When Paul uses this phrase, he is likely referring to this cultural practice to convey a spiritual truth that by responding to an enemy's needs with acts of kindness, such as providing food when they are hungry or giving water when they are thirsty, we are essentially heaping burning coals of conviction on their head. We are cooling them off. In other words, our unexpected kindness can lead them to feel a sense of shame or regret for their own hostility towards us. And it may actually lead them to stop becoming an enemy or stop doing bad things towards us. It's a powerful reminder that our actions, our kind actions can spark change even in the most unexpected ways. In a speech delivered by Abraham Lincoln during the height of the civil war, he addressed his enemies, his adversaries with a unique perspective. Rather than labeling them as enemies, he recognized them as fellow human beings who held a different perspective. An elderly woman came up, criticized, and scolded him for not condemning them and for not calling them enemies that must be destroyed. To this, Abraham Lincoln responded with wisdom. He said, Why, madam, do I not destroy my enemies when I make them friends? As Lincoln suggested, when you make friends out of your enemies or when you treat them nicely, you destroy them completely. They no longer harm you as you assist them. Lincoln's insight teaches us that when we treat our enemies with compassion, with kindness, we effectively neutralize their ability to harm us, fostering a sense of unity and cooperation instead. As Paul would say in verse 21, Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Instead of letting evil conquer us, our goal as followers of Jesus is like superheroes. We conquer evil with something that is more potent. It's called love. It's like using a fire extinguisher into the fire, dissolving hatred, enmity, anger to nothing. As someone said, when someone strike you, strikes you with an evil act, don't curse it, don't rehearse it, don't nurse it, reverse it. Like Jesus in his Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5, verses 43 to 44, he says, you have heard that it was said you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemies. But I say to you, love your enemies, bless those who curse you, Do good to those who hate you and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. While people may respond to enemies differently, some cancel them, some passive-aggressive, as followers of Jesus, we are taught to respond to our enemies with Christ's transforming love. Because when we do so, Christ's love can disarm our enemies of hostility and they become powerless to do evil towards us. And more importantly, we point them to the loving embrace of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Do not provoke them, but show them Christ's transforming love. If there is a perfect example of what it looks like and our perfect motivation for responding to our enemies It is definitely our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. He lived a life that showcased unwavering love and forgiveness even in the face of mistreatment and evil. From turning the other cheek to blessing those who cursed him, Jesus practiced what he preached. He didn't seek revenge but left justice in God's hands, trusting in the Father's sovereign wisdom. His ultimate act of love, sacrificing himself on the cross for humanity, exemplified overcoming evil with good. His life is our ultimate example of responding to hostility with transforming love and dismantling negativity, evil, our enemies, through acts of compassion and forgiveness. Friends, in a world that is often quick to respond to enemies with enmity, Let us embrace a different path, the way of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Let us stand as agents of change, of transformation, showing that in the face of hostility, our enemies, we have the power to respond with goodness, with forgiveness, and with Christ's love because we have been renewed by faith through the power of the Holy Spirit. As we navigate the challenges of responding to our enemies, let our action speak volumes, echoing the profound truth that overcoming evil with good is not just a possibility, but a calling we can wholeheartedly embrace by the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. So as we face mistreatments, enmity, and our enemies, remember our calling, do not repay them with evil but give them what is good. Do not take revenge, but leave justice in God's sovereign hands. Do not provoke them, but show them Christ's transforming love. Let these principles take root in our hearts, guiding our actions and shaping our responses. This might be a difficult message to take, but I pray that God will overrule us with His power and grace so that we can let Him reorient our lives and transform us according to His will. May the grace of our Lord empower us to walk this path daily. Let us pray. Our gracious and loving Heavenly Father, we come before you with open hearts and minds, seeking your guidance and wisdom as we reflect on how to respond to our enemies. Empower us, O Lord, to break the cycle of negativity and hostility Teach us to respond to evil with goodness, to repay harm with acts of kindness, and to extend compassion even to our enemies. May we be a reflection of your transformative love in a world that often responds with hate. May your Holy Spirit guide us and transform us, enabling us to respond to our enemies with the love of Christ. And we acknowledge our need for your grace and your wisdom in this journey.